Uh, I hate poetry. And I love poetry. I'm a strong and independent man who don't need no poetry. All right. How you doing, Charlie? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, yeah. It's it's midweek here, and it feels like mid-season. Well, no, we're only on episode yeah. three, to be honest. But <laughs> yeah, it's getting that way, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, in England, when we have comedy series, they only go on for six episodes. So, <laughs> yeah, so this know. would be the mid... This would be the midpoint there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we're not going the English format and we're going to bombard you with even more episodes because you guys we are so are. lucky. Exactly, exactly. So our first is our introduction poem this morning. This morning? <laughs> it's, be- it's because this is called Good Morning Haiku from the Cat. Okay. Um, so this is Good Morning Haiku from the Cat by Anonymous. In the morning light, you sleep despite my meow. I stand on your face. Cute. That is yeah, cute. Just, you know, just real life experience and I, I found it. Exactly. And, uh, you know yeah. that what would make that a Dylan poem? Is if the oh, last gosh. line said, I sit on your face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can understand why they did it the way they did it. Now, exactly. So it would be family friendly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and our podcast really isn't, apparently. No. We no. try and make it. We, we try it at the start, and then it's just this downward spiral. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Toilet humour and what have you. And yeah, yeah, yes. exactly. Uh, what's our first poem of today's episode, Charlie? So our first poem is called One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. So here's a bit of a fact file on Elizabeth Bishop. Right. Uh, she was born in America in Worcester in Massachusetts. Okay. In 1911. Quite a, a tricky childhood. Her father passed away when she was young. And her mother was institutionalised because of poor mental health. So she was raised by her mater- maternal grandparents, or her mother's parents, okay. in, Nova- in Nova Scotia. So she had to move uh, from America to Canada. Uh, oh, wow. And, yeah, so out in, the, yeah, out in Nova Scotia, which from what I see of maps is lots of islands and out in no- the middle of nowhere, basically. Right. Um, so this is a perfect childhood, really, to become a poet from, isn't it? it- yeah, she's, she's a had a troubled childhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, orphan, an orphan who... Uh, or she's technically not an orphan because her mother was still alive. Yeah. But yeah, you know, an, an orphan poet. Yeah, I'm sure exactly. she was called an orphan, Charlie. I'm, I'm sure she was <laughs> at some point in her life. Um, I'm sure we're all orphans at some point in our life. Wow, that's deep. Um, there you go, there's a poem in itself. There was a, a report by the New York Times uh, and a guy called Larry wrote. Rota said uh, that she was one of the most important American poets of the 20th century. I, I like it when men from that era really sort of big up women like that. So she's one of the mm. best of the 20th century because yeah. with the amount of prejudice back then, she must have been fucking good to get past that and yeah. to still be the best. You've got to be true. fucking good, you know? This is the thing. And I'm going to tell you the reason why she was good now. So, you know, we see on Instagram and this is no speak against any Instagram poets out there, but there's people out there that are, they're doing like a poem every day and they're just churning them out, churning them out, churning them out. Well, she was a perfectionist. So she didn't write lots and lots. She, she works on one project at a time and she really honed them and worked on them. Um, And as a result, she only released 101 poems during her lifetime. We think, oh, 101 sounds quite a lot, but if you think, you know, over her lifetime, that's maybe... Maybe two poems a year. Yeah, that's like 101 that. Dylan poems from I Hate Poetry, that is. Exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So she was a real perfectionist in everything she did with her poetry. Okay. Um, the themes often found in her poems are things like loss or grief or finding belonging somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and also she was well-traveled. She went to Europe and Africa a lot, like Spain, Italy, France, loads of different mm. places. So her poems are often quite biographical about her travels. Okay. Um, and as you said, she's brilliant because she received a Pulitzer Prize uh, for her work, Poems, North and South, A Cold Spring, which was a collection she put out. I can't wait to hear what she's got then. She, she was, yeah, really important. So here we go. This is called One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. The art of losing isn't hard to master. So many things seem filled with the intent to be lost that their loss is no disaster. Lose something every day. Accept the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent. The art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster. Places and names and where it was you meant to travel. None of these will bring disaster. I lost my mother's watch and look, my last or next to last of three loved houses went. The art of losing isn't hard to master. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster, some realms I owned, two rivers, a continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster. Even losing you, the joking voice, a gesture I love, I shan't have lied. It's evident the art of losing's not too hard to master, though it may look like, write it, like disaster. Halfway through that poem, yeah. I just realised... That, because you said she was born in 1918, right? Mm. That must yeah. mean she lived through the war. And yes. I, like my, I, I've written notes about this poem before, but, you know, before we record the episode. And I just yeah. noticed that all my points are wrong, and it's probably about the war and losing the war. <laughs> you know, the fear of losing the war, right? Mm-hmm. There's definitely, I think there's definitely when it talks about a lost two cities and things yeah. like that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that she's talking about cities lost in war for sure, yeah. Exactly. But Canada wasn't invaded, really, in World War II. I mean, nor was America, no. obviously. Well, do you remember that I said she travelled a lot? Ah, and you said Europe. Yes. It might not have been two cities that were near her where she lived. Right, okay. Um, do you know what feels really odd about this poem? When I first was reading it, I thought it was quite sort of a casual, inspirational poem, right? Like, it's all mm. flipped on its head. It's like, you know, looks at the things that you failed at, and stop yeah. doing it in the future. Like, I like those sort of positive poems mm. because yeah. it's kind of opposite of positivity, but it's still trying to give you some sort of message. Um, yeah. I feel like this is so casual for a war poem. Like, if it is about losing, because to them, mm-hmm. you know, when you uh, see, like, these war films and you read uh, poetry from the war, it's all very kind of like, this is what is at stake, like freedom and, you know, like um, yeah. fascism yeah, yeah. is going to invade us. Or like it... It feels so casual that it doesn't feel like it's about a war. Do you know what I mean? If it doesn't mm. feel like she's fear mongering enough or scared yeah. herself to be like, well, this is, you know, she's saying that losing doesn't matter, you know? Not that it doesn't matter, but I know what you're saying. It, it's yeah. that um, losing doesn't hurt as much as you worry it might. Yes. Perhaps. Yes. Um, maybe. Or maybe the way, like, taking in bad news and. Owning mm. that that loss, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I, that lose something every day line just 
makes me feel a tad uncomfortable. And I think that's good. Like, I like it when films and things make me feel uncomfortable because I think that's kind yeah. of the point of why they do it. Um, and it just makes me feel uncomfortable with someone who is quite aspirational. Like, to yeah. think I'll be losing something every day. Like, I want to do the opposite. I want to get something new every day. Like, you know, mm. not, I don't want to gain genital herpes, but I want to learn or acquire, <laughs> like, new knowledge, you know? Or yeah. even financially yeah, yeah. being the positive every day. You know what I mean? Definitely. I mean, what, what, what do you lose every day? Well, money. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, we lose money every day. Yeah, we spend it. Yeah, like what? I really am quite OCD more and more as I've moved to the big city Yeah, about what I'm spending. And I will track, like before I wasn't tracking what I was spending every day. Yeah, but yeah. I will literally go to bed that night and go, well, this is what today was worth. I spent five pounds mm. and I got a sandwich or whatever. Mm. You know what I mean? I've associated finance with life to that degree which is mm. obviously quite a healthy mindset i think but then again <laughs> i'm not a millionaire so i can't i can't just forget about money um yeah i mean they say if you look after the pennies the pounds will look after themselves yeah yeah of course, but, but, of course. yeah but but i know what you're saying it's like you're then equating how well you're doing in life to how much you've lost or not lost exactly but i feel mm. like she's doing the same thing with in this poem when she says lose something every day like i go back to that line because it's like mm. she knows that people are going to die in the war every day that's inevitable right yeah yeah that's true you know if you if you if you're looking at it as a war poem yeah then yeah like lose something every day uh, but it's almost like an aspiration she's telling you to lose something every day like yeah yeah. Except, she says, except the fluster of lost door keys, the hour badly spent, the art of losing isn't hard to master. Then practice losing farther, losing faster, mm. bases, names, and where it was you meant to travel. I'm not quite sure at what point in her life she's writing this, mm. whether this is, I know her mother had mental health issues. I don't yeah. know. This is potentially one, if her mother's mental health issues were sort of to do with dementia or something. Maybe. About losing you know, losing, and forgetting. She's losing something every day. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Forgetting and losing. So I think that's quite an interesting take. Also, like the thing that we do lose every day is the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, once the day is up, it's gone. You've yeah. lost it. Like, exactly. Whatever you did that day is what you did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite, again, it, even though she's so casual, you still feel like you're looking into like a big, a big chasm in front of you of like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. Exactly. It's quite existential. <laughs> it is. But I, I do think, going back to the inspirational part, I do think potentially mm. there are some elements of maybe we're looking too much into it. Maybe it isn't a, um, isn't a war poem. Maybe she's trying to make you mm. think it is because of the current events, you know? Like, I, I, okay. I, when you see comedians make a joke about a current event, it's almost mm. exhausting because everyone knows what's happening. Everyone knows the jokes around it. But if you... Yeah hint at a current event and then flip it completely and it's not actually about that at all it's actually a really clever mm. thing to do and i yeah. feel like it is inspirational in a way that she's saying fail lose out so you can yeah. learn like yeah. you know again in whatever you do especially in the creative sense so if it's filmmaking yeah. you want to make as many mistakes as possible you want to test out your camera and go and do stuff that doesn't work so you can yes. go back and see, look at the footage and see what you did wrong so you don't make it next time, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, as a teacher, I definitely, that's every day for me. Yeah, like, yeah I can imagine. You just have to, like, all right, okay, what, <laughs> that happened. Yeah. How do I make it not happen? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you there that, like, I mean, there's so much this poem contains, so many different aspects, I think. 
I think what's interesting is losing things is easy, right? Like, yeah. Because you do it without even noticing. And mm-hmm. I think that's maybe one of the points she's making. Yeah. Like when you mislay your keys, you're like, darn it. I just, ah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so easy. Because so e- you do it without knowing. Exactly. But also if we are going deeper of it, and you, like you said of her mm. mum with the mental health issues that she yeah. had, um, this poem kind of suggests that there is some skill in dealing with like your emotions which mm. is actually kind of true because, you know, not to get too deep or anything, but like, I feel like I've always been quite a mature person growing mm. up, especially going on film sets very earlier on. People would tell me I'm quite mature. I'm like, you know, um, mm. for my age and that kind of thing. I would hear that constantly. But what I found out is later on in my adult life and when it came to friendships and relationships is that I feel like maybe like my street smarts and that kind of like, you know, um, I've got that kind of maturity to move out and, and get stuff done. But I feel like I found out the hard way that I'm, I was actually quite emotionally immature. And mm. I think those are two separate things, you know, when you talk about maturity. Um, yeah. And I didn't do all my emotions very well at all. And then I had to learn almost like if I was a kid again from scratch yeah. on how to deal with oh, my yeah. emotions. There's always loss. Like the, mm. what you focus on, if you focus on one thing, it means maybe you don't focus on something else. Yeah, exactly. so There's always like loss happening around us. Mm-hmm. Like I, I chose to marry Emma. Yeah. And it means saying no to everybody else, which is awesome. Because <laughs> I love Emma. Right. Like. But in, in the reality of it, like, you that's too like, many girls asking to, <laughs> to marry no, each other. No, n- n- uh, no, <laughs> no, I didn't. But, but, but do you know Sorry, what I'm saying? Sorry, Selena like, Gomez. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, not, be- but not in a, not in a negative way because I chose my thing because of course, it's what of course. I like, right? But like, so. I, you could flip that in a funny way and go, look, I, I became a, a creative producer and comedian. Mm. Um, uh, I, I lost being a doctor. That was never going to happen. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what would the NHS do about Dylan? Fuck, you know, <laughs> that would li- literally would never happen in whatever world. I would never be a doctor. I think, yeah, there is an element of, oh, I'm losing, t- uh, you know, the opportunity to do this, but maybe the opportunity was never there in the first place, Charlie. Maybe, maybe that's true. Yeah, maybe it's it. But again, it's the potential. Yeah, exactly. It's losing the potential. Potential is nothing until it's yeah. actually realised. Exactly. What do you think about the title? Just just to finish off, called One Art. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. You don't like it? I don't well, like I- most poetry titles, so I, it has to be really good. Like, I'm, you know, my mm. expectations for titles are very, very high, you know? Mm, yeah, I, I think what's interesting about it, we were talking about this, you know, when you choose a discipline or you choose a yeah. career or what have you, that, that, and it's called one art. Mm. And she says, the art of losing isn't hard to master. Like, it's almost like saying like, like, you know, it's the whole thing of jack of all trades, master of none. Yes. But, but better than a master of one. Yeah. Sort of thing. I don't yeah. know. There's some sort of thing going on there. Maybe she's talking. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just yeah, making I, I stuff up. I completely get <laughs> what she's going for. And I can see how it's related to the actual poem. I just don't think it's a very good name. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even if it was something like the one art that's important or like there needs, I feel there needs to be more in that title to distinguish it and to describe why losing is such a vital art or yeah. skill to learn, you know? Yeah. But there you go. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think I enjoyed it as much as I could. Like, I, I think the elements were interesting. I just don't think the execution was great, if I'm being honest. Okay. okay. Is that okay? Well, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's your opinion. So yeah. that's, 
So it's what uh, we're here for. Exactly. That's what we're all here for. <laughs> you can all complain on Instagram if, uh, if you disagree with Dylan. Exactly. Uh, yep. <laughs> okay, what's our next poem, Charles? So, our next poem uh, is... It's called uh, Look at All Those Monkeys by Spike Milligan. So, his full name is Terence Allen Spike Milligan. He was born in 1918 and died in 2002. So 1918, same year as, as um, what's her name? She was 1911, so oh, right, he okay, was sorry. younger. He was, he was seven years younger okay, than her. Okay. But um, he was a British-Irish actor. Uh, he was also a writer, a musician, a comedian, a poet, obviously, and yeah. also he wrote plays as well. So I got a bit of competition, being him being a comedian. I was right? I was going to say this is I, I was wondering if you might know who Spike Milligan was because of your comedy background. I do recognise the name if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. but I didn't have yeah. time to have a quick Google of it. Um, I was hoping your fact file might might make sense to me, but okay, yeah, Irish, <laughs> yeah, I Milligan. I mean, it's a given, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> he was born in India and he spent his uh, childhood there basically, and then. In 1931, he moved to the UK, and that's where he remained for the rest of his life mm-hmm. um, and things. So him, he actually gave himself the name Spike after hearing the band Spike Jones and the City Slickers on the radio in Europe. Great. And um, so he thought, oh, actually, I d- he didn't like his first name. He didn't like Terence Allen. Yeah. It doesn't sound very badass, does it? Terence no, Allen. No, Terence. Ter- yeah. Hello, Terence. Um, <laughs> reminds me a bit of South Park with Terence and Philip. Yes, but, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So you may know him because he was the main writer and um, a, a principal cast member of The Goon Show, which was okay, a British radio yeah. programme. Yeah, yeah. He inspired, he was a major influence to the members of Monty Python. Really? Um, cool. Yeah. So back during the World Wars... There was this movement of poetry called Dadaism. And basically their their thoughts were that the war had been led by reason and common sense, basically. And it had led to war. Right. And so they, they were like, well, obviously common sense and reason are absolutely useless then. So they started making like nonsense poems where they would it would just be like them making random noises or like hitting drums and doing performances dressed as lobsters and things like that. As like a response to the war? Yeah, as a response to the war. And Spike Milligan, sort of later down the line, Mm. began to take... It's where we get our sort of crazy comedy from. He loved sort of nonsense poetry and just just being daft and silly. Yeah. um, Because... That's just the sort of person he was. So you can see how that sort of then inspired Monty Python, who were like the, you know, uh, the lumberjack sketch, for example, yeah. you know, the man who is a lumberjack, but actually he's always wanted to, like they just were trying to make it absurd. And so that's uh, that's basically the sort of school that Spike Milligan is from. Cool. Basically. That sounds really so. cool. It's definitely, I mean, Monty Python is one of mine, you know, obviously inspirations. And um, Holy yeah. Grail was the first comedy film I'd ever watched in my life. I still remember watching oh, it as wow. a kid. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, like, there's just so many scenes from that that even when I write now, is always in the back of my mind. Mm. And it's also so internationally recognised. I feel like, you know, when you try and describe yeah. comedy to people from other countries, it's very hard to find common ground. I feel like Monty Python <laughs> is that um, is that common ground. So, yeah, no, that's brilliant. Mm. Oh, I'm really excited now. Yeah, I think, I think this would be really good. I'm hoping you really like it. Look at all those monkeys by Spike Milligan. Look at all those monkeys jumping in their cage. 
Why don't they all go out to work and earn a decent wage? How can you say such silly things? And you, a son of mine? Imagine monkeys travelling on the Moor and Edgware line. But what about the Pekingese? They have an allocation. Don't travel during peak hour, it says on every station. My gosh, you're right, my clever boy. I never thought of that. And so they left the monkey house while an elephant raised his hat. Wow. I mean, you know, like you said, it's just everywhere, isn't it? It makes, it makes mm. no sense. I feel like, you know, this also could be like a post-COVID poem. Because like, I feel like, okay. everyone, you, like you said with the war, everyone kind of went mad mm. and tried, to, you know, nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. All common sense went out yeah. the window. I feel like yeah. the same sort of thing happened with COVID, right? Like people sort of mm-hmm. went a bit crazy and nothing sort of made sense. So I feel like this yeah. could be reapplied now in a new movement. Um, yeah. And people, you know, like especially working from home, it's chaotic. With kids running around and, you know, that kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah. I can imagine oh, yeah. it's the same sort of thing. And it, yeah, it is a bit like, you know, jumping monkeys or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you tell I don't have kids, by the way? I call them monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. And then, like, you know, some of that elephants, like, I don't know, maybe they need more space or something. And that's where you work from home. I, I don't know. There's mm. so many things you can maybe, you know, see it in post-COVID times and try and relate things to it. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely the look at all those monkeys jumping in their cage. That makes us feel it's like us in the pandemic yeah. and in the, yes. in the lockdown. And they don't travel during peak hour. I mean, I know it's playing yes. on the uh, peak and ease word, but... Yes, it, it's that's that's exactly what it is, isn't it? In London, that's what they told you not to do during the pandemic. Yeah, just don't travel yeah, if, you, if you, you know. Oh uh, yeah, that's good. Thank you. It is cool. How again, like like you said, if you keep these poems pretty sort of you know open, they could relate yeah. to two hundred years from now. You know, you just don't know. Oh, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. This still make this still makes sense today, right? Yeah. There's not really a whole lot that dates it. But not they don't just make sense. They can actually come back around. He could republish this if he was still alive. Um and people wouldn't bat an eyelid. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. I was talking earlier about the sort of nonsense movement yeah. and the Dadaism. Sort of they were making a political statement. Mm-hmm. And um I don't know, this is my interpretation of it. So but I I think there's probably sort of a political or social commentary in this okay. in this poem, as well as it just being a nonsense poem for kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just being a bit daft, isn't it? It's, um, it, I think it might, well, I mean, think about where, where we might find monkeys in this country or elephants. It's talking about what the political system, parliament, and mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously yeah, based in London and London Zoo. Um, yes. <laughs> but like... <sighs> I feel there's more to it. Like, what okay. when I see the lines, like, why don't they all go out to work and earn a decent mm. wage? What what is he implying by that line? Well, like we have, like our as humans, it's like, and as particularly at that time when this was around, mm. like the value on the human being was your work, right? Right, and, and what you could, what you what you could contribute to the economy. Mm. So straight away, you have this little boy who. You can see how he's been exposed to that mindset. Okay. You could argue that society has uh, brainwashed him, or maybe brainwashed it, but you know, society mm. has subtly influenced him to think, oh, that's the purpose of life is, is to go to work and earn a decent wage, yeah. right? It's put a role on him. Right. And so now he's doing that to these monkeys. And that's why then the dad says, how can you say such silly things? And you, a son of mine, mm. but he's making a commentary about the way that we we live and that the the focus is on everyone must go to work everyone must mm-hmm. you know do their bit to earn a wage 
and he's sort of make, taking a bit of a, a kick at the political and work work system, maybe. Okay. That's, that's my interpretation anyway. That's really interesting. Because that could still apply today with the pressure of social media and yeah. the rest of it and how society dictates. It's, yeah. I, I felt Definitely. like getting into my mid-twenties, I feel like there's been such an emphasis on uh, wages and money. It's divided so much more. Mm. I feel like... You know, your late teens and early 20s, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It's about going and yeah. having experiences, exploring the world. Yeah. You know, I think it's about what you do more than what you earn or where you are in terms mm-hmm. of status. And then it sort of gets to your mid-20s and people really feel the pressure. People really feel that pressure of going and, and mm. also seeing, like, comparing with each other. And I think that's a really unhealthy thing to do. I... You know, I, I, I'm very lucky that I earn a pretty decent wage for my age. Mm. And yeah. a lot of the times that means, you know, when friends, uh, when we want to go and do things, sometimes friends can't afford it and that's fine. And we just sort of compromise. We stay at home or wh- whatever we do, yeah, yeah. because it doesn't yeah. matter where, where we are, what we do. We just want to hang out with those people. But yes. I've always had people, uh, but I've always had friends recently that are very much comparing their worth to their wage, which is. Yes. A terrible thing to do because, you know, especially at that point in your life, you're still so young, you still can do whatever you want to get into. Like there's no, yeah, there shouldn't be something telling you you're, you're doing the wrong thing completely or you're worth this yeah. much at the moment. Sure. I really hate that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, I think that's right. You know, I think there is this pressure and, and I've definitely felt it, yeah. you know, when I've been applying for teaching jobs and other things yeah. like that, like, yeah, part of the motivation is... Oh, you know, I'd like to be paid more than I'm paid as a supplier. Yes, but, exactly. Um, you know, the the truth is, like, yeah, there's there's time left. There's no exactly. there's no rush. It'll happen. It'll happen when it happens. And, it's it's you know. really hard not to associate your paycheck on what you're worth. Like, it's really hard mm. not to look at your paycheck and go, "Well, I'm, that if it says I'm worth this much, this is actually how much I'm worth." You know. Because you go, well, and, and then, then, you know, like us in sort of long-term relationships and we live with our partners, we go, well, this is how much we're contributing, which is not true. Yeah. Is that like, you know, my partner's studying, so she's not bringing much money in and I'm, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't change our dynamic. It doesn't change how much she's worth compared to me or all the, any right. of those kind of things. So yeah. I feel like this is, this is what this poem is getting at. It's trying to nail down that injustice. I agree with you. Yes. And, I, and I'm not sure that it's like, I think on the surface, it's trying to be a silly poem for kids. Yes. But I think, like you say, when you look into it mm-hmm. and even the, you know, the last the last section where it says, and so they left the monkey house while an elephant raised his hat. And like raising your hat, you know, doff your cap, doff, tug your forelock. Yeah. It's something that happens in the Houses of Parliament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that, you know, you, you, you raise your hat to your elders or to your betters or whatever. And it's that again, it's that indoctrination of. Oh yes, well you're a politician, so you must be, you know, more honest and, and better than me. And and as we know in our country, um, this year we've seen that not to be the case. True. Um yeah. <laughs> in lots of ways. Yeah. You know, they left the monkey house. Well, could the monkey house be the House of Commons? Well, an elephant raised his hat. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what? <laughs> you I know? think I've actually watched BBC Parliament, I switched it on and I've looked at them and gone, look at all those monkeys. I think I actually I've said that. <laughs> honestly. Yeah. I think it's a common metaphor, right, for for politicians to be related to monkeys. Yeah, I I, so. I prefer the insult clown. Like I really, if I <laughs> if there's a given opportunity, I really like calling someone an absolute clown. So moving away from the political aspect, then mm-hmm. it's just all a bit daft, isn't it? Like it there's is not crazy. really 
a through line. Like the whole Pekingese and the pe- don't travel during peak hour. Yeah. <laughs> He's just making like a play on words. Um, yeah, it's 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 really uh, it's really just a, a strange poem. But again, that's why it's a nonsense poem, and that's what he loved to do is to write. I think the write nonsense. the right word to describe this poem, Charlie, is definitely silly. Mm-hmm. I hate the word, but it perfectly yeah. fits into this. It poem. is Dylan's poem. It's Dylan's poem. It's Dylan's poem time. Bob, I do it with you then. <laughs> okay, oh. so I'm gonna make a little fun challenge for you, Charlie. I'm not actually okay. going to tell you the title of this poem. Because as okay. you know, right, I'll go back to it again. I have a really bad way of titling poems that you get it straight away. Like the club yeah. one, in the club it was called or whatever. And you got it. Well, yeah, you, I mean, I'm going to mention it every episode now. <laughs> we mentioned it last okay. time. Yeah, I'm going to mention it. it again. We did. Okay. okay, so I'm just going to read it straight. Um, it might be a bit confusing, but there is sort of, okay. it's, it's, it can be slightly technical. So okay. bear with me. Interior, teenager's bedroom, action. Kid lying on bed, wondering which scene will end up on the cutting floor. Shot of school, dread and boredom. Shot of the city, excitement and creative whoredom. Pan through city streets, kid wearing a shirt too big for him. Surely this city will tear him limb from limb. Super, two years later, he now calls this place home. Exterior London. Hippodrome. Let's just have a look. Um, I mean, there's a, a little bit of meta. So it, it's it's sort of written like a script. Okay. Um, and there's a lot of sort of meta fictional writing. So you've got the whole thing of the child considering what scene's going to end up on the cutting floor. Mm-hmm. So maybe that implies that some of this is cut out. Okay. Um, and I don't know. Uh, so... Shot of the school, dread and boredom. Shot of the city, excitement and creative whoredom. It's hard to find something that rhymes with boredom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> super. The, the bit that confused me, I think, maybe it's something to do with film writing, I'm not, but super, mm-hmm. colon, I'm not quite sure. Okay. And this is like a, t- a type of shot, I'm assuming. Um, Superimpose. Okay. Exterior London Hippodrome. So what are your feelings from this film? What, what do you feel like it's telling you? I feel like it's sort of like... The film Big. Okay. What kid wearing a shirt too big for him? Surely the city will tear him limb from limb. I mean, it could be like your. I, ma- I imagine actually it could be quite biographical about you. Mm. Um, and about your. I mean, you know, you you've always been fairly fairly skinny and you know, uh, slight. So kid wearing a big shirt, a shirt too big for him. Yeah. That's probably something that you've done. Yeah. Um, you yeah, I know that you didn't like school. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not like I did a whole podcast about trying to learn poetry again. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. yeah, this is this is part of the thing I'm trying to rectify. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's about you. I think it's about your your life journey so far potentially. Yes, and maybe maybe you work near the Hippodrome now. <laughs> kind of, I guess. I mean, <sighs> to be honest. I, the last poems I wrote were very sort of open and they could have done, you know, been about anything mm. and every, well, I like to think yeah. that maybe my skills aren't that good, but I thought I'd make something very biographical and something that's very me. So obviously mm. I love screenwriting. Um, yes. so I thought I'd make a poem in the style of one. Um, I think that's awesome. And I, I'm really glad you saw that because yeah. as you, obviously you're not a screenwriter. So for someone outside of that sphere, 
and understand that language so you can easily see okay well this is what it is so mm. i'm because the title of this was called my life is a screenplay okay ah i like it yeah. okay so that was the title of that poem um and i didn't want to give you that because obviously you would have got straight away that was a screenplay that i was doing yes in terms of the actual story so this is actually kind of my past almost i had okay. a bit of a stressful week and it, it's always nice when your partner sort of reminds you of what you've done you know like if yeah. you've got loads to do loads of work it's really stressing you out and it's really nice when someone goes but you've you know like you're you're here you've done a lot yeah. you know to get to this yeah. position you need to look back yeah. sometimes and um at first what i've done do. this poem is i sort of look back at me but mm. as in a sort of you know in a camera almost you know and I'm writing yeah. how I see it from a different perspective, not really first person. One of the things I guess is notable is that, um, yeah, I, I sort of really remember my bedroom because I'd spent a lot of time filming videos in there. And mm. I would be always planning what I'd be doing in terms of shots and storyboarding. But also, like like you said, you know that I hated school and I saw dread yeah. and boredom. And then I used to sometimes skip school and go on a train to London and do filming, <laughs> which is not advisable. I don't advise that to yeah. anyone. But stay, in, stay in school, stay kids. Stay in school, kids. Yeah, don't do drugs. <laughs> uh, I wasn't doing drugs, but I definitely, I definitely was um, more excited about practical work than education. I love the idea yeah. Yeah. of shooting off to London and filming all day rather than being stuck in a classroom. And yeah this is what this poem basically says and uh, you know again this is something i could have written in class because i used to write a lot of scripts and comedy bits in class instead of actually paying attention and yeah again this is not a great advert for me <laughs> my cv <laughs> but um it's really important as well that i've got to say that because i've done because i did this i've had to sort of learn as i go along and actually sort of go back a bit and, yeah. you, you know, if you if you quit school at 16, which I did, it, you have to just go back and learn a lot. Like between 16 mm -hmm. and like 19, 20, you think yeah. you know everything. And then there's a sudden realization where you actually have to go back and learn the basics again because you obviously yeah. weren't in the classrooms. So I've sort of, yeah, suffered for that and now trying to learn it. I, I spent two years in London after I quit school and I really enjoyed it. And I got into a theater sort of agency and that's where the Hippodrome goes. So it's an exterior shot of London ah. two years later. Um, I, okay. And again, wearing a shirt too big for me, that kind of was, you know, when I first went to London, it was very overwhelming, especially when I quit school. Yes. So I was like, well, what am I doing? Like, I don't have a plan. I don't know if I'm actually going to survive this place. You know, there's that kind of thing. And then it cuts straight yeah. to two years later and I'm all good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I like that. I think the the mixed you've sort of mixed the genres of of writing, and I really like that. What genres? Um, <laughs> I don't even know what genres I'm. Well, like well, like you know, like poetry and and script writing. <laughs> right. It's okay. A, sorry. Yeah. The it's formats. a script, but it's also a poem. Yes. Yeah. The formats exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, not genre. <laughs> <laughs> so I really like that. Yeah. I think that's really clever. Thank you. Um. And and I could see you. Well, that's the thing as well. Like this is this is what makes poetry so interesting. Mm. Is is how much can you stretch poetry and make it into something else before it's not poetry anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think probably the answer is you can do it, stretch it quite far. Yeah. And also style as well. Like so many people, mm. their poetry, they're trying so hard to get their own style. I feel like this yeah. is a style of itself almost. Um, yeah, definitely. I'm just, yeah. I'm not saying I've created a movement, Charlie, but I'm also kind of saying <laughs> I have, you know. <laughs> well, this is, this is the thing is like a lot of the time when poets create movement, yeah. 
uh, like once you've done one, mm. like if, if someone does one really well, the rest is just like copying. It's like a viral video, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like everyone's everyone's trying to redo it, and actually, then the movement dies very quickly. Right. Okay. Um, so, so for example, this is a big. We're jumping all the way back to I think episode one of this podcast. We talked about Ezra Pound, who was a futurist poet, mm. where and the futurism movement was always about uh, writing poetry about the metropolitan space, mm. so like the city, about mechanical things like cars, trains, yeah. you know, all these new inventions that were making the world faster and making it smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you've done that a few times, it it gets boring. Like there's only so many so many poems you can read about cars or about. Um, you know, it, it, it just then it's, um, derivative and it's not interesting anymore. So I, I really like what you've done with this poem. Thank you. I think it's great. Thank you very much. Well, that was fun. You know, I feel like it was, yeah, it was great. Every time we have a silly episode with Jack, I feel like we have a really nice and deep one afterwards. Have you noticed that? Mm. Yes, I have. I think it's probably like what we need next. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we go a bit <laughs> so, too far of comedy, and then it sort of comes back to an actual poetry podcast. Yeah, a bit more educational. Yeah, a bit more. I did. That was the thing actually. Last episode, I was. I. I did sort of think. Mm, I, don't, I hope I put enough educational content in here. <laughs> but that's my teacher coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Education is such a subjective word because mm. it really depends what you get from it. Like someone could yeah, have just, you yeah. know. Not listen to everything we said about the poetry movement, you know, for, oh, well, the only thing I've taken from this episode is quit school at 16, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah and that's the <laughs> thing we really didn't want them to, to, to take from it. Yes, so maybe. You just don't know, do you? You don't know. You never know. You never know. Stay, stay in school if you can, or at least, you know, be an apprentice or something somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, Practical experience don't, is... Uh, don't just drop out and go do drugs at 16. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, I was your pay make, for it later on. Decisions. Trust me. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm paid for the drugs too. They're not cheap. Yes. <laughs> I remember on my, I, I used to host a podcast previously. Wow, you had a podcast before this. That sounds like creative whoredom, Charlie. Yes, it is. It is creative whoredom. <laughs> <laughs>